0: So I have a uh, quiz question for you today. Um, yeah. So you can think of this as kind of a general knowledge uh, question. Uh, maybe uh, imagine you're in a quiz show, Jeopardy, or something like that. So here's the question: Who is the King James Bible named after? <laughs> All right. Any guesses? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? All right. It is named after King James. So, James I of England, who was also James VI of Scotland. So, he had been, he had been ruling, um, Scotland for about 20 years when Queen Elizabeth of England died. And they asked him to, they kind of looked through the family tree and figured out, uh, that he was the, the closest, uh, male, uh, uh, relative. And so they asked him to also be King of England. So, James I of England, and because, because there's a Bible named after him, we might tend to think of him as, as a good Christian. And I don't know, I don't know what was in his heart, you know, 400 years ago, who knows what was in anybody's heart. But, um, but remember that the same King James that the Bible is named after was also ruling England at the time the Puritans left England to go to Massachusetts because they were so, uh um uh, unhappy with the way that uh, uh they they were uh, able or really um, limited in in exercising their faith back in england so so is he a good is he a good um, king or not well uh i mean is he is is, is he a good christian well uh, there are certainly christians who would have argued against him um, and the the heart of the the heart of the disagreement, or the heart of the problem, it, it's not that James wasn't a Christian. He was actually not only a Christian. He was a scholar. He wrote he wrote a scholarly work in Latin about the, the divine right of kings. He wrote about other things. He wrote about demons. He he wrote about um, uh, uh, the true law of of kings. And so the, the the heart of the disagreement was about the divine right of kings, and. Uh, he was in favor of it and uh there were those who who said well yes with some limits uh, one of them was a guy named andrew melville he uh he and uh, james the 6th when he was still just king of scotland they had had um they had had a, an interaction in uh 1582 where uh, uh andrew melville preached something and he was uh investigated because what he put in his sermon wasn't authorized that the king didn't like what was in his sermon. And so, there was an investigation, and he, he, um, they said, what authority do you have to, 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 uh, to preach what you said in your sermon? It wasn't approved. And he took out his Bible and put it down, and the, the clerk looked at it, and he says, this is all Hebrew. And, and he said, yes, exactly. That's my authority. It's the Bible that God has given us, including the, the Old Testament. And then he said this. He said, "He said there are two kings and two kingdoms in Scotland. There is King James, the head of the Commonwealth, and there is Christ Jesus, the King of the Church, whose subject James the Sixth is, and of whose kingdom he is not a king, not a lord, not a head, but a member." And uh, that didn't solve the problem. As soon as. Uh, uh, um, there was only so much that that uh, James could do in Scotland in terms of rolling back the the authority of the church. But when he got to England, people came to him and said, "Hey, we want we want you to do all these things." They gave him a list of of requests that would would make the Church of England more like the Church of Scotland. And he said, "No, thank you." And the only thing on that list, the only thing on that entire list that he did was he authorized translating the King James Bible. So he gave them one small bone. And that's what we remember him for. So, so I tell you all this because today is Christ the King Sunday. It's the day we all remember the lesson that, uh, Andrew Melville gave to, gave to, um, uh, King James that there is this other king that whatever, whatever we're thinking about, about our own lives or about the government, um, there is this other king. And we remember that Christ is the king, um, of not just Scotland but ultimately the entire world. And so we're going to be looking at a passage today where um the prophet Ezekiel uh talks about uh, why why there is this other king. What what is the reasoning that God has for for bringing uh, uh this this king um uh, uh bringing Christ as a king. So so we're looking at the 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 book of the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel ministered about 500 years before the time of Christ. Um, and there's been all kinds of problems. So there's been kings now in Israel for about 400 or almost 500 years, and uh, there's been a couple that weren't terrible. Um, there were even a couple that we verged on good, but mostly they were bad, and um, and the country has suffered because of that. Uh, there, there has been... Um, uh, A lot of, a lot of trouble, whatever troubles there were inside the country, there were also problems outside the country or along its borders. Um, If we read the book of, um, the the books of uh, Kings and Chronicles, we find out how there was uh, (coughs) continual kind of low-level warfare, uh, including border raids. We might imagine something probably a lot like what happened in Israel from Gaza a month ago. People coming in and, and taking hostages and so forth. Things like that. We might imagine, um, uh, what that would have been like to suffer. But beyond that, there was actual war, declared open war, and the, the northern part of the country was conquered by a neighbor called Assyria, and then later on, the southern, what was left was conquered by the Empire of Babylon. So, Ezekiel is now writing to, to, uh, Jews who have been exiled to Babylon, and he's saying, he's saying, okay, God's, about had it with the kings. Okay, so here's what God has to say. And he says, he says, um, uh, I myself will search for my flock and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out the flock when some in the flock have been scattered. So I will seek out my flock. I will rescue them from all the places they were scattered during the time of clouds and thick darkness. So God says, I'm aware of it's happened. I know I know the 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 agony that you have been put through, uh, due to those kings. And so I'm going to seek out my flock. So, so God in this passage is using this, uh, common metaphor we see often in the Old Testament, the idea of, uh, a king as a, as a shepherd. And the reason for that is because a shepherd knows he should look out for, uh, his flock. Sometimes kings forget that. So, so God says, I have not forgotten. They are my flock, and I will seek them out, and I'm going to rescue them. They've been scattered all over, uh, some of them to Babylon, some of them to Assyria, some of them to who knows where. But I know about that, and I'm going to rescue them. <clears throat> Pardon me. And he says, um, I'm going to gather them. Uh, whoop. I will gather them and lead them out of the countries and the peoples. So these places, they've been scattered. And I will bring them back to their own fertile land. I will feed them on Israel's highlands, among the riverbeds, and in all the inhabited places. And um, then he he says, uh, uh, I will feed them in good pasture, and their sheepfold will be there um, uh, on Israel's lofty highlands. On Israel's highlands, they will lie down in a secure fold and feed on green pastures. And then uh, in language we might recognize from uh, Psalm 23, uh, God says, I myself will feed my flock and make them lie down. This is what the Lord God says. So so God is going to feed them a uh, uh, good pasture. He's going to feed them and uh, make them lie down in those good pastures. So that is the promise God makes. And he uh, concludes this way. He says, I will seek out the lost, bring back the strays, bind up the wounded, and strengthen the weak. So he says, I'm going to fix what's, what's happened to you. I'm going to repair... Um, I'm going to repair all of the damage that's occurred. I'm going to heal all the ways you've been wounded uh, during this um, the uh, the, the horrors you have suffered as your country has been conquered by these other nations. So he says, um, I'm going to do that. But, by the way, I noticed some things that were going on during this period of the kings. He says, but the fat and the strong I will destroy because I will tend my sheep with justice. So he says part of the job of a king is to administer justice properly and uh that has not been happening some of the priests uh, some of the sheep have done very well uh, despite all the difficulties other ones have done have, have done not as well so the Lord God proclaims I will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep and we don't know exactly what it was that they were um, they were uh doing uh Ezekiel isn't isn't specific but he he compares them to animals um, fighting. He says, "You shove with your shoulder and flank, and with your horns you ram all the weak sheep until you've scattered them outside." This is something we know about from animals, right? There's chickens have a pecking order. There's alpha alpha uh, dogs. Um, we we understand animals kind of jockey for position, and God is telling the the his sheep, telling the Jews, he's saying, "It shouldn't be like that with you. You should not be in this." Um, uh, Darwinian competition to see who can who can make it through the next day he says you should be a people who help one another so he says i've been noticing some of you have been looking out for number one and so he says i will um i will um, i will uh, judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep and then he uh says but but Yes, I'm going to take care of justice. There's going to be justice. No one's going to have any reason to fault my justice. But that's not what you should be focusing on because what I want you to hear is a message of mercy and grace. He says, I will rescue my flock so they will never again be prey. I will even judge between the sheep. But I will rescue my flock. And not just once. I'm not just going to rescue you back from from Babylon and Assyria and bring you back here and then... Put somebody in charge like Manasseh or one of the other bad kings of Israel. He says, "No, this is this is a permanent thing. I'm going to rescue my flock, and they will never again be prey. And I will appoint for them a single shepherd, and he will feed them. My servant David will feed them. He will be their shepherd. So that is the um, the the picture he paints. David is the one of the best kings Israel had." That's a low bar, but David, David jumped over it. And, um, he says that, that this new king will be like David on, on a good day. He says, and my servant will feed them and uh, they will be his shepherd. So David famously is a shepherd. Um, and, uh, he concludes, I the Lord will be their God and my servant David will be their prince. I the Lord have spoken. So this is the promise that God makes to Israel, um, uh, speaking through the prophet. Ezekiel. And it was partly, um, fulfilled. A couple of decades later, uh, after Ezekiel gave this prophecy, God, um, uh, worked in the, the affairs of nations and, and, uh, Babylon was conquered by Persia and the, the Persian impo- emperor, uh, let the Jews go back to their homeland. So, so that happened, um, in the mid 500s. But a lot of this has not happened or, or didn't happen um, as, the way, as the way that uh, Ezekiel paints it, because they never had a king um, uh, who, was, who was a David. They never had this king that God provided who would keep them from ever being of prey, that that, that didn't happen. And so so the, the prophecy did not um, happen until the time Christ came. So Jesus came and was the king or was this this promised king. Jesus fulfilled this role of king. And Jesus has been seeking the lost and binding up the wounded and strengthening the weak ever since. But Jesus didn't do it the way that people expected. Jesus did not simply conquer Rome, kick them out, and establish a new monarchy in Jerusalem. Instead, Jesus has been seeking out the lost and binding the wounded and strengthening the weak and feeding the his sheep, one sheep at a time. And this is the story of Christianity. This is what Jesus has been doing for 2,000 years, is rescuing his people one sheep at a time. And the reason we remember this is because there's a lot of James in all of us. That, that all of us need to be reminded there are two kings. See, a lot of us, we are the king of our own land, right? We're we're the king of our own little Kingdom, and <clears throat> part of that is just cultural. This is America, you know. Don't tread on me. You're not the boss of me. Um, uh, there's this idea of nobody else gets to tell me what to do. Um, but but beyond that, there's just the reality that sometimes we feel isolated, like these sheep. Nobody else is going to look after me, so I better look after myself. That we are, as much as as we can arrange, we are the kings of our own little kingdom, and like. Andrew Melville told King James, <laughs> as he told King James um, on the phone, <laughs> he, said, he said, there are two king, kings that, yes, you're the king of your own little kingdom, and that's great, but there's another king, and of him you are the subject. So, so the, the question that all of us have to really wrestle with is, who is our king? Who is our king? Are we the only king, or is there another king? Is there a second king? Because if we're the only king, then then the question is, how's that working out for you? You know, is is everything just perfect sailing? Everything you you've got it all squared away, or is there something that that other king can do for you? Can he seek you out, rescue you from the place that you were scattered? Can he? Can he give you strength? Can he bind your wounds? Can he feed you? Because that's what Jesus offers to do, one person at a time, to be this shepherd that God promised through through Ezekiel. So, if you want to do that or do that again, to be reminded of what it is to be a subject of that kingdom, Let me invite you this week to to pick one area of your life that you think maybe you have not been really submitted to Jesus as your king. Pick, Pick an area, and my guess is all of you know that area right now. It popped into your mind as soon as I said this. Pick that area and ask Jesus about it. Say, Jesus, I accept that you are the king of my life, and this is an area where I need your guidance. I need you to help me in this area try that out this week. Remember there is another king that we are not the only king. And I have great hope that as Christians do this, as they, you know, the 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 one one person at a time is great. It's transformed the world over the last 2000 years, but you can't see it working. But I have great hope that as the church puts this into practice, as the church practices being a subject of King Jesus, the world will see that that there is an alternative to being your own king, that we don't have to be like King James. We can be subjects of King Jesus. Let's pray. God, we, we all of us have places in our life that we have not submitted to Jesus. Um, And we need to be reminded that there is another king, not just the king of our own little kingdom, but King Jesus, who is the king of the entire world. Help us to remember that that if we're afraid of his justice, we should look forward instead to his mercy, Um, how he will strengthen us and bind up our wounds, and feed us in good pasture. Help us to remember these things and then to put them on display for the world to see. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.